Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but you can call and get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mr. Kelly, good to see you. It's good to see you, Mike. Good to be back. Looks like you're growing your hair longer. Yeah, I haven't cut it since I don't know when. Whoa. It looks wild. I'm in radio. That's true. Yeah, Nobody can you know. see you. Nobody can. And that's a good thing. A good <laughs> so thing. welcome back. Uh, what What's going on? Uh, just changes. Just, uh, you know, way things work. And they put me on weeks for a while. And now I'm back on weekends. And uh, I'm working Wednesday through Friday in the newsroom and then working, uh, doing the weekend morning show. So it's working out very well. And I'm, I'm really glad to be back. It's fun to be back on, uh, have weekends. a little fun on the weekends. Yeah. Really? Because yeah. there's nobody else here? Exactly. <laughs> I can do it. I can wear my hair anywhere I want. <laughs> well, welcome back. I was surprised to see you. Well, I hope it's a pleasant surprise. Absolutely. I, 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 you kind of screamed a little bit, and I was worried there for a second. <laughs> but, I almost uh, passed out. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I understand. Totally get it. Well, great. Good to see you. Good to see you, Mike. And folks, on Saturday mornings, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard. Oh, that side yard. Why is it always so wet? How about the front yard? My welcome home is not exactly what I like, especially garden space. Trying to grow herbs? Ooh, the ground is really wet. Hmm, that ain't going to happen. The taste of the tropics. Your house plants. And what's potting mix? How to improve your soil? What do you need to do when you're pruning a hedge? Shearing, pruning, how to get rid of those bugs, those diseases. And uh, you use the information to make good decisions. My thoughts and orchestrations hopefully will help you solidify your options with a final judgment on what action you're going to take. It is strictly up to you. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever we're listening, or wherever you're listening. And another important player is Alex. He's producing again today. He's kind of the permanent producer, at least for a while. For the Garden Hotline. So I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. Written five gardening books. Two are currently available in various retail locations and on the Internet. And uh, I also, during the week and on the weekend sometimes, do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Uh, there's a park, and I don't know the name of the park. Maybe I should. I've been <laughs> past this park so many times and everything else, and maybe I did know the name, but I don't anymore. But it's located at Limp and Wyoming, which is in, stopped at the northwest corner, and uh, which that area is backdrop by a trio of Norway spruce. 
Some of them with green spruce cones, like similar to pine cones, dangling down. Usually the you know the spruce trees seem to do the cones, spruce cones, at the high end of the tree. At the base of the trees, there was some owl's clover. There's some flags, some iris. They're headed for dormancy. Purple coneflowers, various stages of seed formation. So the, some of the birds were there checking it out because... They knew some of the seeds were already ripe and ready for eating. There's a series of bike racks there, which were underneath sycamore trees and Austrian pines. The ball field plus benches, not sure how much it's being used, but uh, obviously it's being used some. And uh, probably the infield is covered with about 50% uh, lawn, which is no big deal. Several star magnolia buds, really pretty big and fuzzy for this time of year. So they're ready to go for next spring. The newly installed birch trees, trunks still wrapped to prevent suns to prevent sun scorch on the trunk. Skyline view from here ranges as you look to the east, ranges from historic churches, from the International Shoe Company, the Limpery and Anheuser Busch. Combination of delicious <laughs> of deciduous and conifer trees embrace the entire park perimeter. And on the southeast corner of the park, there's a playground waiting for kids. This morning, there was really a nice breeze, and it just offered a feeling of, well, maybe summer's not over yet because we're still just into August by a few days, but it's kind of limiting the insanity of the heat of the summertime. Crickets were chirping. Highway 55, just to the, I guess that would be to the east, was really buzzing, so there must have been quite a bit of traffic, and uh, the clouds were nice and wispy. Walkers, some walking dogs, others just walking, were headed up and down Limp and the other streets, and bike riders too. It was a perfectly nice morning here in the city. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for calling. And uh, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. First caller of the day is Pat. Pat, welcome. Hi. Thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Um I have a question about a house plant that I bought about a year ago um, at you know one of the big box stores, and it was it's a polka dot plant, and it was all cute and everything, and there were like three stems, and, um, and promptly two of the stems just died, so I pulled them out and, and threw them away. Uh, in the meantime, the plant seems to be thriving. I mean, I have like two stems now. Uh, one is is a foot long, and the other one is like working on being two feet long. And um, it's kind of like taking over the spot in the kitchen. And I don't know how to, I mean, I hate to prune it. I mean, I know it needs pruning probably, but the leaves look so great on it. What do I do? Just leave it alone for this time of year. Well, as we head into wintertime, when you start pruning things, particularly house plants, because the length of daylight, you know, whether it's right next to a window or not, is going to start diminishing. So recovery may not actually happen. So with your house plants, okay. you're better off to leave them alone 
and then do the pruning that you need to do uh, as we come out of, let's say, the New Year's, because the days will start getting longer and longer and longer, and then okay. recovery, new growth, and everything else should happen more. Also, one application of fertilizer, if you want to feed them, that would happen this month. But after this point, unless you have a house plant, which a polka dot plant doesn't flower, you know, for the most part, you know, normally right. as a house plant, uh, no fertilizer at all during the winter time. Also, just keep okay. this, you know, keep the soil potting mix, you know, just lightly damp, not wet. Okay. Okay. So then how do you prune it? You just cut it right down next to the dirt? How do you do that? Well, you could, it's several different ways. You could do that. Personally, I don't, you know, I would just leave it alone. If it gets, you know, if it gets out, you know, outrageously big, well, then success and pass it on to somebody else that can, ha- you know, can use it as a bigger house okay. plant. But uh, okay. it's on my kitchen counter, and it's like kind of in the way. <laughs> I mean, I, it, and it was so terrible at the beginning that you know I I, feel, I kind of feel sorry for it. You know, so I wanted I wanted it to just grow, but my goodness, it's you know it's turning into a horror movie on my kitchen counter. <laughs> well, maybe now's the time to pass the baton, and so in other words, yeah. pass a polka dot plant. Yeah, I might do that. See if I can find a willing um, person to who's got. A better place for it, right? So. But it just died at first, and then now it's thriving and it's thriving all over the place. Well, you uh, obviously you sort of like rescued it. <laughs> I guess, except I don't usually have that reputation. I'm a ter- I'm terrible with plants. <laughs> just terrible. So well, you're underestimating right. yourself. Okay. Well, thank you very much, and uh, have a great day. Yep. Poke it out, plant. If you don't know it, folks, just go go online and put it in, and you'll see what it looks like. I think it's. You know, it has pink, you know, pink dots on the foliage. Uh, let's go to Al's house. Hi, Al. Hello. Hi. Yeah, I have a question on nutgrass. Uh, if you spray it and it starts to turn yellow, uh, and I guess you would say it's dying, how about the seeds? Do the seeds remain in the ground for next year? Uh, Are they dead? If it's not a mature, let's say, nutgrass plant, it probably hasn't produced any seeds at the end of the roots. So in other words, younger ones, it has to have a pretty thick stem where it's coming out of the ground bef- you know, to be mature enough to actually produce seeds. So the seeds, you know, in theory, you know, the sedge killers, the sedge enders and all that, they should kill it all the way down and actually have an impact on this. If there is seeds at the end of the roots, should have an impact on those. The chances of it actually happening is somewhat iffy, to be honest. So if there is seeds there, you're probably and you're going to have to be kind of on the watch for the next couple years. Nut sedge, nut grass, whatever, is not an easy thing to get rid of. It takes multiple years to you know of applications of the herbicides to finally eradicate it entirely. And if your yard has a tendency to have lower wet spots where the nut grass is growing, you could have some new stuff migrating in. And you go, well, how? And you just, I mean, it could be out of the neighbor's yard. It could be who knows where, but uh, it's an ongoing battle that truly never really ends. Yeah. What do you like as a killer? Well, I like sedge ender, but I, what I do with herbicides, even though I have companies that I do spots for them and everything else, I like to rotate my products. So I buy one, you know, let's say sedge ender, you know, sedge whatever killer, 
And I use that, and then the next time when that one sort of runs out, I just get a different one. Even though maybe the chemicals are exactly the same percentage-wise and everything else, I still like to alter, you know, alternate, you know, various types of herbicides. Okay, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And now let's head to Carol, and Carol is in Columbia, Illinois. Hi, Carol. Uh, Hi. I have problems with two pests on my plants. I bought a hardy hibiscus, and it really did well. And all of a sudden, I see these holes all over the top leaves and white stuff on them. Now, we had a uh, pest company come in, and they said it was aphids. And they did spray it. And I was wondering whether you agree is that what's doing my damage to this really pretty plant? It could be, but usually aphids are not white. So that's a little surprising. But they took that. They saw it so... You know that could be the you know the the circumstance. You know, there's what would you do for aphids? I mean, do they? Uh, is that a something you spray on it? Aphids don't make holes in leaves. Oh. So what they do is they have a proboscis, kind of a nose that they stick into the plant, and then when they you know then they their nose or this proboscis thing is like a straw. They they suck juice out of the leaf, and then when they pull it back out. They leave actually a small little dewdrop. So the way to see if you really have aphids is just to go out and feel on the underside and the upper side of the leaf and see if it feels sticky. If it feels sticky, then it was aphids. If it doesn't feel sticky, then it wasn't. Well, do you have any suggestions what it might be? Because these holes are, and they're really lacy-looking leaves on the top part of the plant. Well, if it's lacy leaves, to me, in other words, there, something's eating in between the veins of the leaf. That sounds like Japanese well, beetles to me. I've had Japanese beetles. Doesn't exactly look like that, but okay. these are irregular shaped holes. And you know, like I say, there's white things. There's even white things on some of the new blossoms that are coming out. On the actual buds? Yes. Hmm. That does. You know, I would take a magnifying glass and look at that and actually see what this is. That's the best way because hmm. it's a little difficult for me to kind of guess. But, you know, I mean, there's scale. There's other things that are white. But uh, for the most part, the, most of the insects don't eat until the, unless they're beetles or bigger bugs. They don't eat holes in things. Well, it's just they came on all of a sudden and really kind of upset me. Yeah. I well, the say, other one is a kind of a strange thing, too. We've had these Korean boxwoods for a long time, and they do great. But uh, this year they came out with some kind of webbing, and it will take several branches and be just full of these webs, and then eventually that part of the the bush is kind of you know turns kind of brown. I've cut quite a bit of them out of there, but what do I do to prevent this? Basically, there's no preventative. Once you see it, just get a you know let's say an an insecticide and just you know you know seven or whatever, and just shoot it as soon as you start to see this sort of wadding up of the the stem or the branch of the boxwood, and, uh, you know, it may not be problematic, but it may be. Hmm. So seven is a powder, or is that a liquid? It's a liquid. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. I'll see what I can do about my problem. Yeah, basically finding out exactly what it is, but, you know, when you said the aphids were white, and the aphids just don't make holes. There's very few insects that make holes. It's only bigger bugs. It's not little bugs that make holes. I haven't seen any bugs out there, but I'll get my magnifying glass out and take a look. Right. Always look on the underside of the leaf, too. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Thank you. Yep. Now let's go to Terry, and uh, Terry lives in Riverview. Hi, Terry. 
Hi, um, thanks for taking my call. I have a question about, um, I have a river birch, and all of a sudden, inchworms have just stripped every leaf. I have no more leaves left on it. None? None. It's amazing. It just, and it went through, like, in a day. It's, it's, I'm like, is it dead? <laughs> I don't know. It looks awful. Well, it's, it may not be dead, but aesthetically, obviously, it is. How big is this tree? Um, it's about five years old now, I guess. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, and, and uh, there are some leaves at the very top of it, but all the leaves are gone. <laughs> and I'm just like, do I keep water in it? Can I spray? What do I? I never noticed any webbing or anything on it, but it well, totally annihilated this tree. Yeah, so, I mean, it has to be an invasion of something if it's going to virtually defoliate the thing in one day. That just is kind of well, incredible. It, it was in a couple of days, and I was like, what happened to this tree? And I went up and looked, and there were these inchworms all over it. Just right. Choo, 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 and they were green. Yeah, so what you can do with that in the future, just kind of monitor it and realize this, this has been in the situation in the past. You can knock those inchworms off with just a nice, strong spray of uh, water, uh-huh. or you can get an insecticide. And when they're caterpillars, inchworms, which are caterpillars basically, uh, they're pretty susceptible to being, you know, let's say damaged by any kind of uh, insecticide that you would choose to use. Okay. I wonder, is it dead? Should I just keep, I mean, no, it's not water dead. it? Okay. I mean, okay. The, usually the insects are smart enough not to kill something because they may want to have, you know, come back next year yeah. <laughs> and have <laughs> another party. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for taking my call. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks. Bye. And now let's go to Larry in Sappington. Hi, Larry. Hi. Hi. Thanks for letting me on my show. Sure. <laughs> I got a question about my dogwood. It uh, It's really looking sad. Um, the leaves are drooping. In fact, on the north side of it, the leaves are all gone. The, what buds were starting to come out have now turned black, basically dying. Um, last year we had a similar situation. I think last year, though, it was probably more heat stress or drought stress, but I don't know, it's looking pretty sad. Um, maybe too much water this year. That's my guess. Because, you you know, how old is the tree just? For oh, it, it could be... It could be 15 years old. Yeah, that's still pretty. I mean, usually once we hit 25 years, then you could think it could be related to age. But my guess is it's like what you're saying. Last year, drought stress. This year, got drowned. Even though we haven't had that much rain lately, the root system could have been just diminished by the fact when we were having all that rain. And then consequently, there is nothing there or there's less there as far as feeder roots to uptake nutrients and moisture to send, you know, to send it up to the leaves so it can use sunlight to make food. And then consequently, the plant goes, yikes, and then starts, let's say, compartmentalizing certain branches, shutting them down. That kills them off. And so this doesn't sound good for sure. Uh, so I might have to put the dog down. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you don't have to take it to the vet. <laughs> so I, I mean is it worth trying to uh i know you always talk about doing the the drilling the holes on the ground and the compost right so that that you know that may help it wouldn't hurt so i would go out a couple feet from the trunk you know drill the holes down fill them back fill them with compost that's not directly f- helping the tree what that's doing is in 
let's say, invigorating the soil so then the soil can turn around and actually help the tree as much as it possibly can. Right. Are there uh, any other suggestions you might have? Uh, just keep your fingers crossed. Okay. And you can take, you know, I wouldn't cut any branches off. I wouldn't do anything. I would just, you know, not do anything dramatic until next year and see when, it, you know, let's say spring is here and the dog was supposed to be pushing out foliage and, you know, flowers and everything else, see what happens. Yeah, it looked great this spring. Well, that's too bad. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. We, we'll just, uh, we'll just. What I already have actually some of those holes drawn, uh, drilled. Mm-hmm. Is it essential that I fill them up right away, or? Well, you should because you're trying to get the let's say the 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 the, 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 the qualities of the compost down into the ground so it can help the soil. Okay. Good. All right. Thanks for your help. Certainly, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I think when the lady called about uh, the holes and the the company thinking it was aphids, it was white bugs, actually, I, sh- I don't think I mentioned what those white bugs actually were. They're mealy, M-E-A-L-Y, mealy bugs. and But they don't do the holes. So, I, you know, something that puts holes in foliage is not... Uh, you know, it's not going to be a little bitty insect. They just, you know, that doesn't happen. So something, you know, either hail, you know, I don't know exactly what it was because they were fine until just a few days ago, but something came by a bigger type insect and ate the holes. It's just not going to be little things like aphids, mealybugs. Certainly spider mites don't make holes in things. Uh, slugs do, you know, we don't really have snails all that much, but uh and then beetles. So, you know, and then, of course, the caterpillars, like the lady had with her river birch, which just were devastated by them. Let's say, where do we want to head first? And let's go to, are we headed to Kathleen? Anita oh, Anita in Collinsville. Hi, Anita. Well, thank you. I appreciate being able to talk with you. Oh, sure. And I appreciate your program very much. I've got a couple questions to ask. How can you prevent or uh, kill squash bugs? <laughs> uh, I mean, preventing is going to be very difficult. I mean, it's just not, I mean, that's kind of one of those you know, impossible things. I mean, there's all kinds of different type of insecticides, but most of the insecticides are co- you know, contact killers. So right. you've got to realize that, the, you know, you've got to get it right on the bug to actually kill them. So squash bugs are, you know, one of those difficult things to, you know, con- to control. Oh, boy. Yeah. And uh, I've got a question from my daughter in northern Illinois. They've got quite a few maple trees, and in the past she's picked up three large bags of uh, refuge, you know, f- from raking mm-hmm. f- of maple trees, woolly seeds. Right. This year there wasn't one, first time ever. And many, many, in fact, most of the people she's talked to about it have had the same problem. Why? Basically weather. 
So in other words, when the flowers were coming out, because what that seed is a result of, the maple trees have to flower or else they're not going to produce the helicopters, the whirly birds, or whatever you want to call them. Right. So when the flowers were just coming out before they got pollinated, they had a, you know, a cold surge, and it killed the flowers off. That's why there's no you know, maple seeds. Okay. Well, I, I, I told her I would call you and see what you're opinion was and uh, uh she said first time ever she's well over 50 years old never had this before well it's just i mean the timing has to be exactly precise when the flowers are coming out if the flowers haven't opened or if the flowers have been open and then been pollinated the cold weather won't necessarily kill let's say the flowers slash then eliminate the opportunity or the chance of producing the maple squirts as we used to call them they did have a lot of cold weather up there, and yeah. it was extended lengths of time. And uh, okay, I sure appreciate that. Thank you, Mike. Certainly, my pleasure. And let's go to Charlene. Hi, Charlene. Hi, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have, we're having trouble with deer, and I'm what I'm looking for is one of those uh, animals um, that. Um, it's on a wire base, and you stick it in your yard, and you move it around, and it uh, uh, scares the deer away. <laughs> I have, I, it really works on it. Really? Uh, and I can't seem to find one anywhere. I've called all the, the local larger places. I don't know where else to look. Do you have any ideas? I sure don't, but uh, there is a company, and what part of town do you live in? I live in Kirkwood. Okay. Try calling uh, Hummerts, H-U-M-M-E-R-T-S. Hummerts, they're a horticultural supply company. They're uh, basically in, you know, sort of close to St. Charles, Earth City, and that kind of area, and see uh-huh. if they've got them. Or you can go online and just check it out, Hummerts, you know, dot com, and uh, see if they might have them. But they're a huge horticultural supply company. But I've never Great. heard of you know any kind of animal that's you know on a you know a fake animal that's going to scare a deer. It looks like a coyote. Good lord! How big is that then? Uh, well, it's I mean it's fair size, but <laughs> um, it's it's on this metal base and it has this big eye and ears and all this. I mean, it looks like a coyote, and it really does scare them. Wow! I've never heard of it. I don't know what to say, but it worked. Well, I'm glad it worked, and it's too bad that you didn't have one. You don't, you don't have one. But, yeah, tr- go online, see if you can find them, or try Hummerts. Wonderful. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, I, you know, I've had heard all kinds of repellents smell-wise, burns her nose and you know, eyes and all that other stuff, Irish spring soap, but I've never really heard of, a, like, sort of a fake animal. But if it works, it works. Where are we headed now? Let's go to Frank. Hi, Frank. Good morning, Mike. Um, I have a beautiful uh, October Glory maple tree that's mm-hmm. planted about 17 years ago, and it's probably in uh, about that excess of 20 foot tall. And I just noticed about two or three weeks ago that there is a discoloration of leaves in the upper portion on one side of the tree. Um, it looked like it's dying. And uh, the thing that I did prior to that when I noticed it, uh, that tree has a problem where the roots grow on top of the ground a little bit around the base of the tree. So I put mulch around the, on top of the roots, 
And I also had a couple of weeds that were there, and I sprayed the mulch part with Roundup. And uh, I also have a, a purple ash tree right close by. What could be the problem that it that it uh, that it looks like it's dying? Uh, if it's only you know if it's one part, it's just probably it could be weather related. It could be as long as you didn't cut the roots or anything. If you just put mulch on top of them, that's fine. If you just sprayed and killed some weeds with uh, the Roundup, that's you know that shouldn't impact it. So it's you know there could have been some. We've had some really kind of vicious strong winds. Uh-huh. So consequently, one of the branches that is discolored is you know has a crack in it so consequently it's not getting the the amount of let's say more nutrients and moisture from the root system and that's why the leaves are discoloring more so than anything else so i think okay, it's physical more so than it, anything but, else uh, uh, i thought maybe i'm hearing about blight uh, oak oak uh, trees have a blight or whatever right that's not this at all i guess mike huh no oak anything that's specifically two for one type of tree doesn't generally jump to a different variety of tree or different genus. All right. Well, okay, I'll keep my fingers crossed, as you say, and uh, hope that it doesn't die. So thanks so <laughs> much for your information, Mike. Certainly, my pleasure. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds you know certainly physical. And like I said, we've had some severe uh, winds this year. It's been kind of amazing. So we're headed to Pat in Crestwood. Hi, Pat. Hi, Mike. I've got a few quick questions. Uh, when is the best time to transplant, like daisies, black-eyed Susans, and daylilies? The daylilies, since they've already finished flowering, once any type of perennial, the foliage starts turning yellowish or brownish on the tips and things like that, that means they're headed towards dormancy, so they could be transplanted at that time. Now, okay, so if I'm dividing them, that would still be any time this year? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. You can do it all the way up. I wouldn't probably do it to... Uh, you know, necessarily too late in the season because they may not get their root systems established enough to make it through, especially if we have a, a severe winter cold-wise. It could, you know, they could be killed as a result of that. But, uh, yeah, once they start heading towards dormancy, you can, you know, dig them up, divide them, you know, transplant them, dig up the whole clump, whatever you want to do. Okay. And uh, my rhubarb didn't do very good this year, and the leaves seem that they've got a lot of little holes in them. So I didn't even try picking any this year. So should I be fertilizing rhubarb or what? This late, this late in the season, you could give one anything. You can give one more application of fertilizer, but the holes were a result of you know something that happened a while ago. Obviously, because you said the holes were have been there for a while. Right. We've you know, and everybody's really becoming conscious of holes. Now holes are bad, but they're not necessarily let's say deadly. They're aesthetically problematic, and they cause people to worry. But there's a whole, pretty much holes in lots of different things, and there's not too much else you can do about it. What yeah, well, caused the holes? I mean, as the leaf is still tight, you know, before it's fully opened up, if one insect gets on there that can actually chew some holes, you know, chew into the leaf and make the holes, when that leaf finally opens up entirely— there could be like looks like nine or ten or fifteen different holes, and the insect only ate one or two different spots. But because it was still tight and hadn't opened up yet, it was penetrating lots of different layers in the leaf. That's why it looks so, let's say, deadly or de- you know, aesthetically horrible. But it wasn't really all that many insects causing the problem. Right, but would this cause the stalk itself to like be stunted because they only 
seemed like they only grew about six to eight inches before the leaf part. Yeah, that's it. I would again think it was more weather related than it was related to you know some holes in the leaves. Okay, and other quick question: I have coleus and hypostas. I guess H Y P O E S T E S. Right. And they're really growing like crazy. Can I cut those back? Yes, you can. And uh, you can cut them back, and that way you'll stimulate some new growth, and you'll keep them from getting, you know, too wild and rangy. Right, because the ones actually got flower shoots coming out of the top of it. Yeah, once you, you know, you should prevent any kind of, if you're growing something for the foliage, definitely don't let it, you know, what you're doing with the coleus, definitely don't let it go to flower because that sort of sends the plant a message like, well, this is the end of my more or less life this season. So then they start shutting down. Okay. Okay, well, that's great. Thank you very much for the information. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you've had a history of cool annual season weeds get and you have a lawn service, Make sure your lawn service is going to pre- put a pre-emergent down this month. Later on in the month, towards the end of the month, that's when you want to do it. But the cool season annual weeds include henbit, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, the, some of the speedwells, uh, rabbit's foot clover. So if you know you've had those as, you know, in the past, the best thing you can do is get a pre-emergent down from mid to late August. What that does now, if you're going to put down grass seed, regular lawn seed, you can't put a pre-emergent down. So you've got to decide if you're going to do one or the other. You got, you know, I mean, if the weed problem is more problematic than, let's say, needing to put more grass seed down, then get the pre-emergent scheduled or go to your favorite garden center and tell them you want a pre-emergent to put down on your lawn areas this, you know, this month, basically. So just later on in the month. Let's go now to... Uh, Lou. Hi, Lou. How are you today? Hi. Uh, great. Um, I'd just like to let uh, the listeners know that the uh, Greater St. Louis Iris Society Iris Sale is going on today from 9 to 5 and tomorrow from 9 to 5 at the Missouri Botanical Garden uh, in the main building in the Beaumont Rooms. You just go in the main entrance and turn right and follow the signs, and there are hundreds and hundreds of iris varieties on sale um, everything from miniature dwarf bearded all the way up to tall bearded and other types like Siberian irises and even reblooming irises. And uh, there are pictures of the blooms of each iris uh, with each group of rhizomes that are on sale. And there are also iris experts there to answer any uh, iris questions anybody may have. So come on down and see what we have. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's a great thing. Also, you, you know, a month or two before, you should send me an email so I can make mention of, you know, the sale coming up. Okay, we can, we can do that. Uh, I'll, I'll let everybody know to, so that we can do that. Do you have Japanese iris, too, as well as the Siberians? Uh, we may have. I, I was yesterday. I was just uh, involved with the setting up with the tall bearded, but uh, we may have some. It, it, uh, they're, they're dug up from the um, vast collection of the Missouri Botanical Garden. Ah. 
and also from some private growers. So we may have some Japanese iris, too. Come on down and check it out, Mike. Yeah. The reason why I like the Japanese iris is because basically they can grow in really super wet locations. So somebody that uh, you know, wants to create a rain garden, they can have the Japanese iris as more or less the herbaceous perennial type things in that space. So thanks, Lou. I greatly appreciate it. And now let's go to Dennis. Dennis, how are you today? I'm fine, Mike. Um, I've got a uh, rather large uh, uh, Otto Lukens English laurel. I was wondering if I could uh, prune that back a little bit right now. I would, uh, you know, unless you absolutely have to do it, the laurels are a little bit iffy as far as hardiness and everything else. I'd leave it alone. But if, okay. you, if you do have to do it, you can do it, but uh, I'd be hesitant to do it. Even if it gets, you know, if it's overly large for your space and everything else, just be grateful that you have it and it's doing well. Okay, because it's been around for about four years now, so it's pretty well established. Right. Okay, and I've got some drift roses, and they're drifting out of control. <laughs> can I can I cut those back a little bit just to control the uh, size and shape? Absolutely. Roses can be pruned for sure. And can I uh, feed them after I prune them back? Yeah, you can. Basically, I think you want to have your last feeding for your roses this month, and by mid month is ideal, but by the end of the month for sure. Okay, thanks. Thanks so much. Certainly, and using rose food, hopefully. And that's where we headed. Let's go to Eric's yard. Hi, Eric. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good. Good. Hey, I have two questions for you. I've had some hydrangeas for about oh. 14 years or so, and last three or four years, they have just haven't really been blooming very much at all, and do you think it's about time I should just dig them up and put some different ones in? Are you fertilizing? Yes. Okay, so if you're fertilizing, the foliage looks good and everything else, it just may be the variety-wise and it's sort of the end of their aesthetic life. So I would give it nope. some thought. I don't know how many you have. I wouldn't necessarily take There's- all of them out. But maybe take every other one out and replace it if you're going to put a new, you know, a new, let's say, type of hydrangea in or something like that, and just kind of see what happens as a result of, you know, the soil and everything else with the new plants. Okay, and now let's go to uh, Anita, and she lives in Swansea. Hi, Anita. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, Mike, I've got. Uh, wait a minute. I got my door. Somebody's coming to my door. There we go. I hear your doorbell. Um, I know. It just went off. It's my son. I have uh, a mess. Uh, last year, uh, we got rid of uh, Bermuda grass. I put two applications of um, Roundup on it, and, I mean, it killed it off. And I, uh, so far this year, I've only found two, two little sprouts coming up, and I dug those up. But the problem now is I've never had, I mean, we redid the yard. We, re, you know, sowed it, uh, grass seed and everything, and it came up. Then I started getting these brown spots. I think it's they're called dollar spots or brown patch or something. And I didn't know what they were. I just thought it was, you know. Anyway, I went to the nursery, and they gave me something called E-Stop to put on it. And uh, that's what I did. And she said, you know, put it on and then wait a month and put another application on. But I want to put, my yard is so full of weeds, another thing this year. 
which I mean, even not just the front yard, the rest of the yard. It's just I've never had weeds like this, but I did not put any any uh, what do you call it pre-emergent down last year. Instead, I planted grass seed, and it's that the reason why I've got so many weeds this year. You think? Not necessarily. I mean, it could be lots of different factors. You know, relate to the amount of weeds that you have. If you did a major renovation, you know, however you improve the soil before you put the new grass seed down, hopefully it was, you know, nice, you know, high quality, whatever you added. Because sometimes when we add things into our landscape, we can be bringing weed seeds in that way. Well, the grass seed that I used was from them. Yeah, I'm not talking about. So you didn't improve the soil at all? You just put the new grass seed down? We put compost in it, and that's what we did. Okay. So hopefully I mean, that that did. didn't yeah that didn't cause a weed problem. But what you I probably would do is you know kind of leave the weeds alone, and I would just since this is the best time of year for new grass seed, get some more grass seed, put the grass seed down with a seed starter type fertilizer. Maybe do the top dressing before you do that. So in other words, core aerate, top dress with about a quarter to a half inch of compost. Then put the seed down and go from there as far as trying to get a healthy lawn established before you worry about trying to take care of the weeds. Mm. What are these what are these weeds that are big clumps that look like grass, but they're just It could be an annual type of it could be a warm season type of grass, like a crabgrass or something like that. Take a clump to a, you know to your garden center. So gotta go. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library. Featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline. Tip of the trial, I'll be giving it shortly. But Brian, before you take off, I understand that Sue has done a great... Yeah. Great job with the plant material. Our our backyard and our patio looks just beautiful. She's done a wonderful job. A lot of bright colors, and as one fades away, another one comes up. And uh, we put a lot of big planters out on the patio, so you kind of can have a garden without having dirt, you know? And, and I'd never really <laughs> thought of it that way. You put these big planters out there, and they look beautiful. And so, yeah, we spent a lot of time outside just kind of looking around going, wow, this is nice. You never thought about planters? Don't you ever listen to the garden hotline? Well, I'm usually working when you're on, Mike, so I, <laughs> I, I don't have time. But she does. every. She's listening right now. Well, great. She listens every week, and so that's why our garden looks so great. And you've given up on the vegetables and all. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. We got tomatoes, a couple peppers that are just kind of hanging out there. Uh, the one thing I do like that keeps coming back, and I love it, is mustard grass or mustard, whatever it is. Mustard, whatever it is. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And I just pick it, and you know, so I'll take a, a cherry tomato, and I'll take a piece of the the mustard greens, and put them together. And the mustard greens are hot. They you had that little mustard taste to them, right? With the tomato to cool it off, and it's that's that's my salad. All right, really Sounds good. Perfect. Yeah, I, I got to make sure the dogs haven't been around though. <laughs> yeah, you got to wash it off. Oh yeah. uh, well, great. Yeah. Well, compliments care- to careful. Sue. Uh, tell her yourself, right there, <laughs> Sue. Congratulations. Good great job. job. Good job, honey. Yes, folks, and we'll be, as I said before, giving the tip of the trial shortly, but uh, if you'd like to call and get in line with your questions, comments, ideas, concerns, 
436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Thanks for having me on your show, and we can discuss plant selections, the ups and downs and all arounds of, you know, if your annuals are getting a little bit tired looking, uh, you can certainly cut them back this time of year. They've got time to recover and still could give you another couple months of, let's say, aesthetically rewarding times and periods. So when you cut it back to also realize that, you know, fertilizing would be advisable. Your summertime bulbs, your elephant ears, your cannas, your caladiums, all those type things, they should be absolutely fantastic. If you are growing herbs, no fertilizer on your herbs and cut back on the watering. And to harvest herbs, it's better to, you'll get better taste and better aroma if you harvest them in the morning. Why the difference is, I'm not exactly sure, but that's, you know, I've done it myself and it actually works. So your houseplants, start checking them out closely. You've got another month or six weeks or so for them to stay outside before you have to bring them in. But start watching for bugs, you know, in circumstances like that. If you have a cool season lawn, it's time to really think about, uh, you know, renovating it and helping it. Even if you think it really looks good, there's no problem about overseeding with the fescues or the bluegrass blends or whatever it happens to be. Your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines. And I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path that you can take. It's strictly offered to give you some thought and some idea. Alex is running the board, so when you do call in, just give him your name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need to know anything else because he doesn't care. <laughs> no, he cares, but uh, he just doesn't. There's no place to put that information. All he has space on the computer screen is for your name and where you're calling from. So anyway, during the week and weekend, sometimes I do a landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage, that is where my email address and phone number is, and we can schedule a time where I'll come to your home. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual, group, or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. This morning when I was leaving, heading down towards KMOX before you know my walk, Tom, he lives diagonally across the street from us, and across the alley, and he's a fireman, and he was actually just heading out to his truck to head to work. So a tip of the trial goes out to all the people that work for the St. Louis Fire Department. I mean, they have a huge responsibility, a huge job to keep us all as safe as possible, and especially safe from the standpoint of if something does happen disastrous-wise, they can, they're, they're coming. They're going to be there. So tip of the trial goes out to all the St. Louis Fire Department people, and not just the city of St. Louis, all the fire department people throughout the metropolitan area. And another tip of the trial goes out to a couple different garden clubs, Boone County Garden Club, and they in Weldon Springs. So that's where they're located. The Caseyville uh, Gardeners, they have their meetings in the Caseyville City Hall. Edwardsville Garden Club, and they you can go to www.edwardsvillegardenclub.webs.com. And also the Floor de Lise Garden Society, they uh, in St. Charles on Kiska Road. So Boone County, Caseyville, Edwardsville, and Floor de Lise Garden Society. So all the people that uh, belong to those garden clubs and plant societies and everything else, and the gentleman that called about the uh, 
the Iris Society having their show at the Botanical Garden today. So if you're interested in Iris, I mean, what a fantastic group of plants the Iris is. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's see if we can get to Josephine before we take a break. Hi, Josephine. Hi, Mike. Hi. The reason why I'm calling, I have zygograss. And at this time of the year, I get a lot of crabgrass in there and some uh, a lot of watergrass. Now, do I put a pre-emergency down at the end of the year or now for next year? If you have crabgrass, what you need to do is put the pre-emergent down in the springtime when the forsythia is in bloom. Okay. Okay, then I won't put it down at all uh, at the end of the year now. No. And oh, okay. if you were putting a pre-emergent down, it wouldn't be at the end of the year. It would be during if, this right month. Right around this time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. But I have the zoysia, so I don't put it down until the persistent bloom, right? Right. And that's okay. because of the type of weeds that you have. So if you have you know, goosegrass, you have foxtail, if you have barnyard grass, crabgrass, along with lots of different other ones. Those are the warm season annual weeds, uh-huh. and they start germinating, the seeds start germinating pretty much at, you know just after the forsythia finishes flowering. Uh-huh. Yeah, because it, it just seems like it gets really bad at this time of the year. Well, it becomes more obvious because uh-huh. those clumps, I mean, they almost grow like, you know, placemats. I know, and I, I, I try to dig as many out as I can. It's brutal. It's brutal because I'm I'm going to be 88 years old. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> well, you know, I've been going after, you know, I have some too, and I've been going after mine by hand digging it. And I'll tell you, at the end of a couple hours of doing that, your hand is really yeah. cramped. Like I say, at 88, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I can't do it. <laughs> I can stay out there for about an hour, and then I have to quit. <laughs> well, that sounds great. So, so thank you so much. Yeah, for thanks, your Josephine. And now let's go over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi. I have a uh, problem with Bermuda grass. I was wanting your opinion on. It's invaded about half of my yard. It's about thirty by forty. And I read where you could cover that with like a clear plastic and just let it bake in the sun. And I was wondering what you thought of that and what the pitfalls might be, and if you had a better recommendation. I think just killing it with herbicide is the best thing to do, personally. You can cut, you can suffocate it, you know, like you're talking about. It doesn't have to be clear plastic; it can be anything. But what happens also, it could possibly damage the soil below by suffocating, you know, this. Let's say the better qualities of the nutrients that are there, and then you're going to have to, you know, make more major improvements to have a successful lawn coming back into that spot. So that's why I don't necessarily like to, you know, let's say cover and suffocate with using plastic. Is there an herbicide you'd recommend? You know, personally, I, I'm not against, you know, Roundup. I've been using it since I worked okay. at the Botanical Garden, and that was, you know, in the mid-'70s. And uh, right. so I, that's what I use for the most part. You how, could, how long of a period of time will, will it take to uh, use Roundup to, to kill it and then let that, I guess, sit until you can re-sod or replant? You're probably looking at about uh, 14 to 21 days. Oh, okay. So it's pretty quick. Yeah. Is that just to kill it? Yeah. And I and mean, how, kill it. Yeah, how long get rid after of that? How long after that does it take before you can actually reseed? Uh, basically, at the end of that time, that's when you're going to get 
the you know as much kill as you can out of this application. So you can pretty much you know put the seed down or the sod down right at that point. Oh, okay. I didn't know if there was a waiting period or not. No. You know, I mean, there is, but, I mean, it is three weeks, so you're letting it be absorbed right. to go down to the root system and everything else. Does this normally take multiple applications? Uh, usually it's going to take at least a couple, you know, but, okay. uh, you know, with anything, all the herbicides, as good as they are and everything else, there is just, there's no just one-time application to eradicate right. the problem. And would you... Uh recommend doing it to the whole yard or just the majority of where it's at right now? I would go after the big plot and then get okay. that under control. And then you can go, if there's other, let's say, fringe areas that, you know, the Bermuda has got himself established, go after that a little bit later. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you very much. Yeah, because you don't want to spread your energy too thin. So thanks, Jim. Okay. Mike Miller, right, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Well, I'll tell you what, folks. The annual warm season weeds that germinated last spring, you know, they are just, I mean, they're exploding right now. Whether it's spurge, whether it's ragweed, purslane, knotweed, lamb's quarter, Black medic, carpet weed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, foxtail grass, they're, they're going nuts. And what they're doing is, like we've been talking about, to, or I've been talking with several different callers, a lot of these, let's say, nasty annual grasses, they stay very flat. And until their clump gets like the size of a pizza, you don't even realize they're there. And then w- the whole time... They're, a lot of times they're pushing out, let's say, they're, the part of the plant that produces the seed really low. So when you cut your grass, let's say, at four inches high, you're not even going to cut off those the flower seed makers on that, plant, you know, on that, let's say, annual weedy grass. So it is, I mean, it is absolutely a battle. So just realize that they're producing the seed, but the pre-emergences you put down this time of year doesn't infect those because the seed is not going to germinate. You're going to have to put a pre-emergent down next spring when the forsythia is in bloom to get rid of the weeds that are impacting your landscape right now. Let's go to Chesterfield and see what's going on with John. Hi, John. Hey, I got a follow-up question about the pre-emerge. Okay. Um, I, I heard you say that you can't plan on putting grass down if you're doing the pre-emerge now. Right. But in the, in the spring, it, so you put it down when the forsythia is blooming, Will I be able to put new grass seed down eventually next spring or late spring? Yeah, it depends upon what type of pre-emergent. The pre-emergent will tell you how long you have to wait. But in the springtime, the ideal time to put the grass seed down would be in May. So if you're putting the pre-emergent down when the forsythia is in bloom, which you know we never know exactly when it is, but usually it's in March slash April, you've got six or eight or ten weeks before you're going to be putting your grass seed down in May. All right, because my lawn will be very bare when I get done with <laughs> pre-emerge down now and in the spring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be scary. <laughs> One other thing, you were talking about the crabgrass growing flat. So when I'm out cutting my lawn, I use the clippings. Um, I put it on flower bed areas to keep the weeds down. So 
if you got mature crabgrass seeds in those clippings, are, is that going to mess up the, the uh, flower bed planting areas for next year? Absolutely, it could. Yeah. <laughs> so can I put the pre-emerge down on the uh, flower bed areas? Yeah, I mean, certainly. It doesn't have to just go on lawn. But, yeah, I mean, they're in bed spaces, usually the pre-emerge you're going to use is called preen, P-R-E-E-N. That's the one that's yeah, I, basically formula, you know, formulated for bed spaces. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. And now let's go to uh, Paula. Hi, Paula. Good morning. Hi. I, I have a few questions. Um, the first one is I bought some dinner plate dahlias bulbs the, at the beginning of the season, mm-hmm. and I planted them, and they were they still are beautiful. But the dogs ran through them and knocked them down, and now they're just all splayed. Would they have, that was earlier in the season, would they have stayed up naturally because they're so big and they just keep leaning? I, I tomato staked them. Generally, if the flower gets huge, the stem may not be strong enough to hold it up. Some, you know, I mean, you can see some sunflowers. The sunflower could be the size of a, a basketball almost, but that stem is strong enough. So it just depends upon the individual plant, how strong the stem is, as far as the ability for it to stay with, you know, holding upright without having to have any, let's say, artificial support. Okay. And then my next question is about my gardenias. Three of the, two of them are doing beautifully. One of them was doing beautifully, but the, um, the, uh, flat, the flower buds have turned brown and are drooping, and I can tell they're going to fall off, and the leaves are all turning yellow. What's going on with that one? And the other, the other two are beautiful. It's kind of hard to say, because, but they're—I mean—they're not all identically in in the you know, let's say, growing circumstance, situation, exposure, and everything else. So, what happened with this one versus the other ones? It's a little bit difficult to tell. But if they're all, you've, they look good and everything else, why one goes downhill and the other ones don't, I mean, it could be 10 different things. It could be one different thing. But if the foliage is discoloring, that's not a good sign. I mean, the flower buds oh. drop, yes, I mean, you can understand that. But once the leaves start going downhill, that's not good for the overall health of the plant. And I, you could fool around with this if you wanted to, but uh, I would say just get rid of it so you don't have to even think of it. okay and then lastly i was wondering what is eating my hibiscus and um what do i do about it the best thing to do is it's you know it's hard to say what's actually eating things the best time to go out is in the early morning just as the sun's coming up and start looking at your plants at that time for the most part insects that eat foliage don't do it in the heat of the day. They do it in the end of the day or, the you know, let's say, the beginning of the day before it's super hot. Then when it's super hot, they kind of, let's say, hunker down and just, you know, you know, don't do anything. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to say, but a lot of the, you know, a lot of the, let's say, damage is being done by various types of either caterpillars or by various types of beetles. That's what's doing the major type of damage to the foliage of plant material at this time. Is there anything I can spray on it or put on it that what, they're beautiful, but um, you know, every once in a while, I go out and the bugs have taken over the plant. Right. In essence, what you need to do is probably look at a systemic type insecticide. 
That way, what it is is the insecticide, you, you put it on the ground, it's absorbed in through the root system, goes up through the stems, leaves, and everything else. And then if any insect starts you know, feeding, then it kills it because it's getting poison from the inside of the plant. Gotcha. That's a little bit easier than, let's say, contact killers where you got to basically spray it. Even if it's an organic you know, insecticide or anything else, it has to hit the insect directly if it's not a systemic. Okay, great. Thank you. Certainly. Yeah, it's uh I mean, it's really difficult to because we have so many different types and varieties of plant material. Let's go over to Carol. Hi Carol, how are you? Hi, just fine, thank you. I've got uh two large maple trees that are twenty five years old and at the base of the trunk there's something eating on them and it's leaving like sawdust. I don't know if it's a boar or termites or what. Yeah, if you have sawdust there, that's not a good sign. So it sounds, you know, it sounds like boars. I'd get a tree mm-hmm. service to come out and take a look. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, sawdust is not a good sign. No, <laughs> I didn't think so either. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it may not be as much damage as you think is going on, but still have somebody come out and take a look at it and see if it needs to be treated. Now let's go to uh, Tom, and Tom lives in South County. Hi, Tom. Hi, um, I, I have butterfly milkweed in my landscape with the orange flowers. It's about 12 to 18 inches high. Great. I really like these, so I decided to cultivate my own plants from the seeds, and I stratified them in the cold weather and all that. Well, they came up this year, and they're about 18 to 24 inches tall, and the flowers are pink. They don't even look like the other plants. Hmm. Does that make any sense? No, it doesn't, because they, they can't be really cross-pollinated. So why they're discolored that way, I'm not exactly sure, and I don't even know if of, you know, let's say a hybrid of some type of milkweed that would be pink. So I don't know what's going on. Okay. All right. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you had luck with them, maybe it's just this year. Who knows why, you know, but uh, I would say. All right. Well, I just thought I'd give you a try. <laughs> yeah. And, so are you still getting butterflies and everything coming to them? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're coming up. They're just, the plants look a lot taller and the, the flowers look different. Hmm. They're definitely not orange. I mean, right. I'm not real strong on colors, but they're definitely not orange flowers. Well, if you're still getting the, you know, the butterflies coming and the moths and everything else and the bees, then um, enjoy the pink. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Certainly. And now let's go to Marilyn. Hi, Marilyn. Oh. How are you? How are you? Hi, Mike. Uh, I really like your program. Thank you very much. About two to three, maybe four weeks ago, I planted Stella de Oro uh, lilies. Yeah, day lilies. Day lilies. And um, <laughs> two of them have bloomed, but the bloom is like right on the ground. Like not on its stem, it's bloomed and it's like it's sitting on the ground. Um, did I plant them too deep? Uh, you oh. could have, but also it could just be by planting them late. They didn't, you know let's say, have the energy to push the, the stems up. But usually the stem on a Stella Dior, uh, daylily is going to be about uh, 8 to 10 to 12 inches. That's They're not yeah. really tall as far as the daylilies go. Right, but they don't sit on the ground, right? No, they, <laughs> sit, they really don't. And uh, usually if, you know, if they're sitting on the ground, you know, if you planted them too deep, that means the root system is not really going to be in good shape. And recovery, as far as coming back next year, may be somewhat limited. So as so, when they finish, you know, when the foliage on them starts turning yellowish, I'd go out and actually pop them up out of the ground and see how deep they were. Because you, you want the crown where the leaf 
and the root system meet right at grade, right at ground level. I see. Okay. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline, sponsored in part by St. Louis Public Library, featuring the birds and bees at Central Library. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, and we're headed over to Jay's yard. Jay, how are you today? Hello, Jay. Is this Dave? Oh, it's Dave. Sorry. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Um, I've got a particular problem that just started popping up last year in my backyard. It's these woody weeds, and I think I took I took a, a sampling over to the extension service, and they identified it as a woody hawthorn weed. It's got it's got thorns on it and everything. Whoa. Well, I. I've, I found uh, a woody weed killer, because they don't make woody Roundup anymore, and I used that, and it knocked them down, but they're coming back, and I'm wondering if there's a, if, if I'm, this is something I'm going to have to live with from now on, or, or is there a way to knock them down and keep them down? So you're saying they don't have poison, I, poison ivy killer Roundup? That's for the woody plants. Uh, they were telling me that they're not allowing that, that Roundup isn't selling that the woody uh, the woody stuff anymore. May, you know, I would go and just look and see if they have. It'll say poison ivy. You know, that it'll say that first, and then it'll say woody plants below that. But I thought I saw some just the other day when I was you know walking through, you know, a, actually a hardware store. Yeah. Okay, so you think if I use Roundup that it will knock it down permanently? Right. Best thing to do is you know if you can. Damage the plants that you're trying to kill. So, in other words, you're opening up wounds so the Roundup can be sucked in quicker. But it will say poison ivy killer, and then it will say woody plants after that. Okay. So if I just cut them off with a pruner and then use the Roundup, then that would probably bruise them enough? Yeah, don't cut them off too low. Leave some of the foliage, and you know, I don't know how tall are these. Oh, shoot. They'll go up to three foot tall, but right now they're about eighteen to two inches. Yeah, I would Anywhere say from y- six inches to eighteen inches. Yeah, I would say cut them off halfway and then apply the roundup. I mean, basically immediately afterwards. Okay. Do you do you put it on the leaves too? Yeah, on the foliage, on the stem, everywhere. All right. Very good. I'll give that a try and let you know. Yeah, because I'm I'm surprised that you know they would tell you that. I mean, because I thought I saw just like a within the last week or so. Anyway, thanks uh, a lot. Know, I, yep. I thought I saw it at Lowe's, and uh, uh, I didn't say anything. <laughs> but uh, I go to a real hardware store, and so I just, you know, I just trusted him on it. Right. And it knocked him down good. I had brown spots all over my backyard last year. Well, great. Well, I mean, if you if that's been effective, just it's good, may just take multiple years. Problematic circumstances Weed-related, regardless of what type of weed it is, usually is not going to be eradicated just in one or two applications. It is a long battle. It took them a long time to get this, you know, established to where the point that they are. So we, we just don't have anything that's going to be strong enough to just wipe them out all at once. I'm wondering where they came from. This is like the first time in 14 years that they've shown up. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough to say. Okay. 
Thanks for your help. Yep. Yeah. Without seeing the landscape and everything else, it's just, you know, kind of tough. Let's go to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Say, my neighbor has been growing a castor bean plant for a couple of years. This spring, he gave me a couple beans. I put them in the ground, and this plant is about four feet tall. Some of the leaves are almost 12, 15 inches across. Right. And I seem to remember something harmful about castor beans. And so my question is, is this plant harmful? I'm I'm next to a wooded area, and I got rabbits running around the yard. I don't want to hurt them. And... uh, what can you tell me about this thing? Will this thing come back next year? It's an annual, so you really have to collect the seeds. Sometimes it, they will, see, you know, after they flower, they will see you, you. You see the flowers, right? No flowers yet, just green. I'm looking at it through the window here, and it's. Uh, you don't have like an orange ball that looks like really spiky ball hanging on the top of it. Not yet. Okay, so that's you know that's to come. Castor beans. You know, the bean is actually used to make castor oil, so that's fine. But the sap of the plant can be, let's say, cause problems from a standpoint of causing rashes and things along that line. To so, people? To people, yes. So I mean, when I, I water it, I better stand back. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not going to necessarily get sap on you, but, like, if you cut them, you know, if you break a, a leaf, you know, like you're walking through or something like that, and then get the sap on you, it could cause a rash. Whoa. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's kind of the downside of the castor beans. But like I said, the beans, once the, you know, the flower is pollinated and produces the seeds slash beans, then, you know, consequently, that's what they make castor oil out of. I've never had castor oil, so I don't know how horrible that is. But it's something that's been used medically for a long, long, long time. So when these beans show up, I can save the beans and plant them next year? Absolutely. And the, you saw what the beans look like when your neighbor gave them to you. They're yeah. like brown and speckledy looking. Right. But you're going to see the round ball first. Huh. And then in those pods, more or less, are the seeds. Exactly. And I just store them, store them outside. It'll be fine. You can or just put them in the garage. I keep mine in the garage. This year I haven't grown any castor beans, but I got you know some castor beans when the before the Cardinals tore down their let's say the stadium, they had by Stan Musial statue, statue. They had a bunch of castor bean plants. I gathered a bunch of seeds. So alternating year after year after year, I do cannas, I do this, I do that, and then castor beans. You know, just kind of in that mix. So the animals won't nibble on them and get sick. Generally, or no. That's no. not. You know, I don't think yeah, that's going to happen. It's kind of a fun-looking plant. Yeah, and they get huge. The ones you have, you know, I've had some that have been like uh, almost 10 feet high. Good grief, in one season? In one season. <laughs> well, okay. I kind of like looking at it there, and uh, I'll get some beans from it this fall and then uh, do it again next year. Sounds perfect. Thanks, Thank Joe. you, Mike. Yep. Mike Miller, KMY's Garden Hotline. Now, once again, it's Mike Miller. On KMOX. Yes, and we're headed over to Bill's yard. Bill, how are you today? Hello? Hello, go ahead. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I'm, I'm having a, a shed moved, and I'm going to have to cut. Is it too late, too early for me to cut down my pineys or peonies? Uh, basically What's not. It? I mean, it's, at the, I mean okay. it's a little bit early. 
But if you have no choice, you got to go ahead and do it. Now, you don't have to cut them down. You can dig them up and just leave the foliage on them. Okay. So you've got that option. Do you know well, where we're going to move the building over them, so I don't see any need really to dig them out. Okay. So And if, then, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if the foliage gets damaged because you're lifting the shed and moving it over the top of them, yeah. you know, then that's the way it goes. But I wouldn't necessarily just cut them down in anticipation. And then wait until, okay. you know, sort of around Labor Day. That's when I sort of recommend cutting them. Okay. And then uh, <clears throat> the man was talking about castor beans. That's how my uh, neighbor who had a wonderful garden uh, kept the molds away. He grew <laughs> lots of castor seeds and put them in, in every mold tunnel that even started. So, Well, really? And it worked pretty good for him. Yeah, he said it was poisonous to him. So. Well, they usually the know, beans are not, good, but, you know. A lot of times the root systems can be, that can be an impact as far as repellent. Yeah. yeah. So thank you very much, and I appreciate your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show, Bill. I greatly appreciate you uh, you know, coming in, calling in. Jules, how are you? Yes, good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, yeah, how do I turn on hydrangeas? <laughs> I mean, the thing is four and a half feet high and four feet wide, not a flower in sight. And how, you know, it's good size, it's everything else. Has it ever flowered for you? Yes. So it may, be an, back, but- yeah, it may be an age factor as much as anything else. It may be just sort of already past the end of its life. So uh, you could try next year, you know, giving it a severe pruning, going in, you know, come, going into early spring before the foliage begins. When do they normally flower? Are they spring bloomers or are they summer bloomers? They used to bloom all the way through. Oh, so they're ex- so the extended bloomers. So yes. if it doesn't, you know, if you're not getting any flowers, this, you know, this is a specialty type of hybrid. That's how they, that's a, I don't want to say manufacture, but the plant hybridizers manufacture it so it would have an extended bloom period. That may limit their life as far as actually productivity related to the amount of, you know, of flowering just in general. So my thought is this plant is just gone. It's sort of finished. Okay. We we kind of thought we'd replace it, but we thought maybe we'd give it one more chance. You but. you could give it one more chance. I'm assuming you you fertilize and everything using an right. acid-based fertilizer. Yes. So you've done everything just right. So, again, I think it's just an age factor. Well, okay. So I do have a, another issue that um, – crepe myrtle that was 20 some odd feet tall and finally gave up and i cut down now there are dozens of shoots coming up right and they're like 10 feet tall (laughs) but each one has hundreds of aphids on the bottom and i try hosing them off like in the morning and at night to keep them off right but they just keep coming back and it's too big and all that to spray with uh you know a killer right um any other suggestions to keep them under control? No, I mean, the aphids, uh, you know, if you're sure they're aphids and they're making the leaves all sticky and everything else, yeah. uh, you're doing everything you can. I mean, if you can't, you know, spray it just next year, you know, cut them off. Make sure that when you, if you cut them, cut them down to the ground, you know, get rid of those stems and everything else. Maybe you can get rid of the population. Uh, here I was hoping to grow a few more of the trunks. 
right. so that they get to be the big trees again. Sure. Yeah, why you well, have this invasion of aphids on them, I'm not exactly, you know, I mean, it's one of those mysteries. Yeah, and just one last thing. We had a climbing rose that took off in the spring, uh, but it didn't get very far, and then all the leaves disappeared. Now there are new leaves growing on it. Anything I can do to stimulate it and make sure it survives. One last feeding with a rose food this time of year, that's about all you can do. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Yep. And where are we headed now? Let's go to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hi, hi Mike. I uh, really enjoy your show. Very informative. Um, we have, uh, I overseeded last year, have a lot of plantain, the broadleaf weed in our yard. Right. And I was wondering, is there anything we can put on that that wouldn't kill our clover like a broadleaf killer that doesn't kill clover. <laughs> so you don't want you you don't want plantain, but you want the clover in your lawn. I I thought the clover put nitrogen into the lawn. It does. Yeah, but uh, you you're gonna have to make a decision because a broadleaf weed killer kills broadleaf weeds. Whether it's you know clover is tougher. A lot of times it can resist the the herbicides. And especially since the plant or plantain, you can actually, you know, just shoot the weed be gone right onto the individual plants as opposed to doing a broadcast, you know, spreading of, of an herbicide. Okay. Um, we've got quite a bit. There's a couple acres. I don't know if I got contaminated seed from overseeding Ooh. or is it just the year that it just all popped up or showed up? I yeah. don't know. That's, but it's a granular... Uh, killer just as good as having it sprayed or whatever? Uh, granular, you got to water in and everything else. The spraying, you know, basically is directly gets onto the plant that you're trying to kill. That's a difference. Okay, so that shouldn't kill the uh, the fescue and other grasses? No, if you, basically if you're not getting it on them. And broadleaf weed killers do not affect lawn or grass plants. Okay. Okay, well, that uh, I guess I'll have to start over and what time of year is the best to do it uh anytime anytime fine. yeah because a plant or plantain i mean that's a warm season weed so you know it does come from seed so i mean basically putting a pre-emergent down again when the forsythia is in bloom can help you know get it under control okay okay great well thank you very much yeah. again i enjoy your show well thank you Let's go to Ken. Ken, can you do it kind of quick? I can try. Uh, I have a vegetable garden, and the problem I'm having is I can't grow pepper plants. Can Should you my grow, soil be missing something? Can you grow tomatoes? Yep. If you can grow tomatoes, peppers are in the same family. Why you're not able to grow the you know peppers is maybe the variety of pepper that you're choosing. I had bell peppers. Sweet banana peppers and jalapeno peppers, and none of them are doing anything. That's you know, you know why they're if your tomatoes look good, you know why these are not doing well. It's you know it's a it's strictly a guess because I'm assuming okay. you're taking care of everything pretty much the same, and then consequently, yep. uh, this may have just been a bad year for them for the peppers. Some people have had some great success with all kinds of different things, you know, from a vegetable edible garden circumstance. Other people have just you know, they've tried three different times and it's finally given up. So yeah, I had a I had a friend gave me a green pepper. It was the biggest green pepper I ever saw, and he it's a mile from my house, and he 
growing them like crazy. <laughs> so it's just an individual spot, individual circumstance in your landscape versus you know something major that you're doing wrong. If you if your tomatoes had been collapsing, then I you know it would have been different. But since the tomatoes were doing good, it's just this you know whatever reason these maybe they got planted a little bit low. Yeah, you know, it's a little little tough to tell. But thanks, okay. Ken. Good luck and. Thank uh, you. Thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. So uh, just enjoy the day. I mean, it's nice to have, you know, nice sunny days, not quite so intensely hot. So just be, you know, if you drive by my house by chance and you see me out in the yard, I'm going to do several things, but I'm still going after some of those crabgrasses, foxtails, and all those annual weedy grasses. I, I like to do hand digging. I do the pre-emergent too, but I like to hand dig because I want to see how big some of these are. And some of them are huge. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.